Hello, everyone. This is producer Brian filling in as host this week. Angel Leon is out of the office, but will return soon. Joining us today is Dave Rodriguez. He's the CEO and founder of Destiny Works LLC. He's also an author, speaker, consultant, and personal coach. For more than 40 years, Dave served as a pastor in churches on the East Coast and in the Midwest. He launched Destiny Works in 2020 to help people and organizations discover their unique callings and enhance their personal well being. Dave attended the University of Pittsburgh and Moody Theological Seminary in Chicago. He also received an honorary doctorate from Taylor University. He's been happily married to Penny for over 40 years. He loves and is proud of his adult children and is especially fond of his grandkids. When not coaching, writing, or speaking, you'll likely find Dave enjoying music of all kinds or indulging in his hobby of cooking. Dave, welcome to Ask Anything, and thanks for joining us. How are you? Thanks, Brian. I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day outside, and it's a wonderful time to have a conversation. It certainly is. Uh, let's kick it off with, uh, get our first question going. Can a person discover their calling? And if so, how do you discover your calling? Yeah, that's the million dollar question, right? I'll try to keep it brief, but the answer is yes. And I've devoted a good part of my life now to helping people figure it out. And it's like a big Venn diagram. Both of the circles are huge truths. And truth number one is a very awesome truth. And truth number two is an awful truth. And the awesome truth is the uniqueness of every individual. And we can talk about this more later, but I think every individual is defined by a combination of their life story, their passions, their skills, uh, and their personality. That's the awesome truth. And where that intersects the awful truth, which is the brokenness of the world, that's where a person is going to find their destiny. Because I believe their destiny and a human destiny is all about contribution. It's about the, a person's calling is, what is my contribution to humanity or to the world? Because like I said, the world is broken, isolation, pain, injustice, hatred, anime, which is a word that describes a person having no roots, the decay of the planet. Th those are some of the ways to describe the brokenness of the world. And then everyone's has this unique awesomeness, which is them, and where that intersects, that's where you can find their calling. So that's the answer is yes, but part B of your question is, well, how do you figure that out? So the process is, well, I sit down with individuals, I do this in a workshop format. I, I help them unpack or pay attention to the details of their life story. And then we compare that with their personality, and we compare that with their current skill set, and then we compare that with their passions. And when what usually comes out of that process, nine times out of 10, is something that a person maybe has felt they've had an itch about it in their life, but they've really never taken the time to analyze and say, is this my best contribution to the world? And yes, we can discover it. So that's the short answer to yes, and here's how we do it. No. What are the conditions in which people are driven to find their why? What causes somebody to be like, you know what? I'm not fulfilled. I'm not satisfied. What, what gets them actually out and looking for their why? For their yeah, why? That's, a, that's a great question. I'd recommend a book, The Second Mountain by David Brooks, in which he talks more about this. But I believe that everyone comes to a certain point in their life, and it, it could be bad or negative, like pain. Like when a person is confronted with chronic pain and it caused them to question, okay, what am I doing here? Or failure. And it may not be a huge mistake, 
but it might very well be like, hey, you're looking at your life going, you know what, this is not working out the way I'd hoped. So if it's not pain, if it's not failure of some kind, sometimes it's just plain transition. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a neutral thing. Like you graduate from a school, you get married, you have a child, you buy a house, you move to another town, you take a new job, you become empty nesters, retirement. All of these are like normal everyday transitions that many times when a person faces that, it throws them for a loop. And they're trying to figure out, okay, who am I now? Because something is fundamentally changed in my life. So it's either pain or failure or neutral, a transition, or sometimes people just get disillusioned with life. And you know a person's disillusioned when they say something like, is this all there is? Like, I'm just doing my thing. There's got to be more than this. So those are the conditions that many times people find themselves in. And when many of them, they come to me and say, help, help me feel like, for example, I just got a, I just got contacted by a woman who for 15 years had been working for an organization, happy in the organization, but the organization went through a massive restructuring and her job was eliminated. So she contacted me. She said, you know, I've thought about just reapplying for another job in the organization, but she's the one that said, I have this itch. And, and I've, I wonder if this is my opportunity, so she's facing a transition, if this is my opportunity to pay attention and maybe figure out a different way I can approach my contribution to the world. When I, when I find myself in a position like that, if I'm in a transitional phase or I've hit you know uh, one of life's many markers or goalposts or things, yeah. um, whether voluntarily or involuntarily, be it uh, children being born or job transition like you had just described, I generally look for people who have also been through something similar. Nobody's going to have the exact same experience I have, right. but many of them are going to be close enough that I can pick up helpful hints or tips and tricks or what helped you navigate this? What helped you yep. Yep. process it? How did you, if not even necessarily finding success through it, how did you weather whatever it was, good or bad? How did you get through it? And then gather for the next because that's next the step. thing about life you get through the thing you're not done <laughs> something right, else exactly is good or bad exactly and like and saying to a person like that a friend of yours or a mentor you know how did you find meaning in it you know how did you step from one phase of your life into the next phase of your life and we can garner all kinds of help from people who have been down that road and to be honest with you that's what happened with me throughout my whole life i've had mentors who have gone through transitions and, and have helped me process my own transition. And now I have the opportunity. I mean, sometimes a person, many times a person can discover their what their next step of meaning is by interacting with family and friends. Sometimes they need somebody, a coach, to guide them in that. And so it's, in essence, that's, that's what I do, is I coach people through the process. A dear friend of mine of many years uh, has an approach when we start to talk about something, if I'm you know, venting or anyone that he knows, they start to talk through a subject or something that's happened. He'll kind of early on in the conversations, he's like, hold on, just, I want to pause for a second. Do you want to vent here? Are you looking just, or do you, do you want to yeah. talk about this? Or when we're done, are you looking for advice? Because it's mm. two different types of listening. And yep. I want to be, I want to be prepared for the end of it. Are you just mm -hmm. looking to, to, to work through this and, and talk it out? Yep. Or are you looking for advice? Because that's two different modes of listening. Yeah. And I want to make sure I'm in the right one. 
Absolutely. That's and that's a good piece of advice for people when they're looking to interact with people. What exactly are you looking for here? Yeah. Uh, that's good. Yeah. I'll use uh, that. Other, that's good. Yeah, uh, the other the other thing I've found is when I'm in transitional and I'm like I feel a little unmoored by things, the way to get myself anchored back is to focus on other people. Yeah. Like service to others or just connecting with other people. If you're untethered, like forming that connection or talking through things with people who have your best interests at heart, or uh, sometimes that's not the right thing to do. You need to know if you need to talk to somebody who truly cares about you and wants to help or someone who is absolutely 100% objective and will tell you things you need to hear mm -hmm. instead of things you want to hear. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that, Brian. The hard thing today is something happened to us with the pandemic that I am not sure that any of us have our finger on this. What exactly became of us as a people? Because what I'm hearing through a lot of my interactions and the people I, I work with is that they're not sure who their tribe is. They're not sure who their people are. And so you come to this point where you actually need either someone to listen to you or give you advice or basically someone to carry you through this transition. And too many people are not able to identify who is going to walk with me through this. The Surgeon General, I don't know if you paid attention to this, but in the last two weeks, the Surgeon General just said, we are facing in the United States an epidemic of loneliness. Yeah. Chronic loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. Chronic loneliness. And in Great Britain, they're way ahead of the curve on that. About five years ago, they actually brought onto the, the ministering team of the country, a minister of loneliness or minister of isolation, who that's, that's all she focused on was the isolation of loneliness of people. And I, I don't know if you heard what he said, but, but, and I agree hundred percent. He said it is loneliness and isolation is more toxic to the human body than smoking. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I did. I saw that uh, interview. I, I read that report. I saw that report on the news and the effects of stress are well documented on the human right. body and physiology. Loneliness, I think they're just starting to explore it. And it's going to be a larger and larger problem as the baby boom generation ages. Oh, yeah. The older you get for many people, I don't want to overly generalize, but the older you get, the smaller your circle gets just if nothing yes. else, morbidly through attrition. Oh, hey, and you get to get to be my age, and that's happening fast. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm in my late 60s, and I'm, I'm watching it. I mean, this past year, there were a number of my friends and close friends who passed. So it's, I, I'm glad you brought that up, because the process of finding meaning is a, is a communal thing. And to be honest with you, in the United States, community is like an add-on because we are hyper-individualists as a culture. Yes. We are the roll up your sleeves and do your thing and, and work through stuff on your own. And you know what? It's not getting us very far. Yeah. People like to point to, you know, our, our rugged pioneer <clears throat> ancestors and, you know, the Pony Express and rugged individualism. But the pioneers who tried to make it from St. Louis to California on their own, they didn't make it. <laughs> they, no, they, 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 no, they wound can't. up in, they wound up just you know the 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 warning pile of bones along the side of the trail it was the people who moved in groups and cooperated and watched out for each other right a lot of them also did not make it it was a rough mm -hmm. trail but you find more success and and uh, and you live longer helping each other out
Yeah. And to your point, we will find meaning when we are connected to a community and we understand to your earlier point that our meaning is wrapped up in contribution, not acquisition. And that's a, a major point that Brooks makes in his book, The Second Mountain. You know, the first mountain is all the what most of us live is all about establishing our identity, acquiring our identity, acquiring the American dream. The second mountain of purpose and calling is about contribution. There's a huge, huge difference. And when a person's ready to move from acquisition to contribution, they're ready to discover their calling. I was reading an article about a week ago about, um, you know, about identity. And I, I sat with it for a while because when I read it, it made perfect sense, but I hadn't really considered it before. And it still is banging around in my head. It's the, the you, the me that I visualize, that I actualize, the me that I consider myself to be mm-hmm. does not exist. I'm the only person that version of me who I consider to be me exists too. Everybody else I interact with in my entire life, my family, the people who know me the longest, the best, my wife, my children, you know, my extended family, lifelong friends, people I've known for 15 minutes. Each of them have a different version of me that exists to them. Yeah. And the truth is somewhere mixed up in between all of that. And it's like, oh, yeah, nobody else knows the me that I know because nobody else spends literally every second of every day dealing with me. Yeah. And most of us agonize over that. Yeah. Well, it can be really, it can be really tiring getting the 100% Brian experience. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I'll take your word for it since that's the first time I've met you, but I'll take your word for that. Yeah. I've been, I've been told I'm a little much too. So yeah. I I try to dial it down as appropriate, but um, (laughs) so when we're, when we're looking for our why and our calling, how, how is that related or how can that relate to your job or career? Yeah, that's a really good question. One of three ways. Uh, and I'll tell you stories for each one of them. So uh, the first way, the calling and a career can be unrelated. Okay, so and we can equate career with job. That thing you do to make money, it can be unrelated to your calling. Your place of contribution to humanity can be unrelated to your job. And that can be okay for a lot of people. Uh, case in point is my friend, Mike. Mike runs a um, software company in in the central Indiana, and it's very successful. It does well. That's where he makes his income. That's where he's invested his time. But that's not his calling. His calling, and Mike and I walked through this together, and what he discovered was that his calling really is in mentoring people. Mike's the kind of guy, if you have lunch with him or a cup of coffee with him, you walk away thinking, man, I can do anything. Because that's what Mike, Mike mentors people and basically believes in them. And Mike does that frequently, but that's not his job. Okay. But he's, he's comfortable with that. Now, the good news is his calling, this mentoring, it's finance because he's got income coming in with his job. The bad news is I think he'd like to do the mentoring a little bit more, but his job limits it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's number one, your calling and your career can be unrelated. Second is your calling and career could be integrated. So second story is another Mike, a different Mike, a younger Mike, who is a science teacher and track coach outside of Cleveland, Ohio. One of those teachers that every kid wants, and it's because of what he's passionate about. Yes, he teaches science, and yes, he's a track coach, but what he's there, what he does a lot with his life, he loves to help high school students 
figure stuff out and figure their life out. So he's forever sitting down with a student or engaging with a student after class or after school. Now, what he told me is my job is to teach them science and be a track coach, but my calling is to guide these kids into the future. And he said, what I love to do is I'm able to take my calling and integrate it with my job. So they're not identical, but they are integrated, his job and his, and his calling. The third possibility then, of course, is that somebody can have a job and a calling that are identical. For instance, a young woman discovers in high school, she's kind of young woman, her abiding passion is to help people in whatever they need. You need help. She comes alongside. She helps. I mean, it could be small, big, whatever. She's just in there, rolls up her sleeves and helps people. In high school, she finds out that it's possible. She's never thought about going into nursing. And all of a sudden, her eyes light up. And she goes, wait a minute. You mean I can help people all day long? And they say, yes. So she gets her education. She starts nursing. And she wakes up in the morning. She says, I cannot believe they pay me to do this. Because her job, which is to serve as a nurse, is completely identical, completely wrapped up in her passion and her calling, her contribution to actually care for people. So when a person discovers their calling, then they have the option. Will my calling, my contribution to humanity, will that coexist but be unrelated to my job? Will I integrate it with my job or will I have a job that's where it's identical? I have a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old, a 16-year-old son, 13-year-old daughter, and uh, I'm trying to introduce the concept to them of the totally unrelated, uh, just the, mm -hmm. the concept that you can enjoy something that you have absolutely no way of monetizing. Everybody, the side hustle has become a major focus in, the, right. uh, in, in, the, in recent years. <laughs> How can you turn this thing that you like doing or thing into income or additional opportunity? And uh, just I'm trying to, to hone in on the fact for them that you can enjoy doing something that you are truly awful at, but like art, painting, right. singing, uh, golf, for my example. Yeah. Like, I very much enjoy being terrible at golf. You know, mm -hmm. I don't get to play very often because they're at the ages where they're in travel sports now. So that takes sure. up a significant amount of time, but you don't have to be good at something to enjoy doing it. And you don't have to necessarily be able to monetize or turn something into a career for it to be what you really enjoy doing or what you are, what your calling is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now I speak around the country to fraternities on this subject, which is fascinating you sit down with fraternity chapters and have a conversation about calling. Well, what I've discovered is there's hundreds and hundreds of guys, they desperately want to know this, but they're, when I walk through what I walk you through, those three ways that your calling can be related to your job, I lay that out to the guys and then I say to them, all right, which of these is the best of these choices? And of course they get quiet because they know it's kind of a trick question. Right. And somebody will raise their hand and say, well, isn't it being identical? Isn't that the best? And I said, well, it might be for you, but it's not for everybody. Yeah, that's in a fact, very individualized answer. It, it is. It may, and if that's what you're about, then you need to make sure that your time in college is going to lead to a career that very much is wrapped up in your calling so you can make it as identical as possible. But don't, hold, don't put a gun to your head on that. You don't need to have that pressure. And continue moving forward and figure out what is my greatest contribution and then say, what am I going to do with it? 
I've been on the uh, board of trustees of uh, my college fraternity. I've been in the alumni relations council. I've been uh, involved since graduating for a number of years. So I talked to our undergraduate members. I went to Ball State University. We just had our 50th anniversary of the founding of the fraternity on campus this last fall. So I was at the house with a large group of alumni and we're talking to the younger guys. And the, the point I tried to instill to impart to them was that life is a, it's a very large connect the dots project, but you cannot connect the dots forward. You can only look back to see yes. what's connected to what. So your time in college, high school, college, your first, first 10 years of your career, 30 and under, your main task should be, in my opinion, and it won't, it's not true for everybody, but it, it worked for me in hindsight, is generating just as many freaking dots as you possibly can right. to open up opportunities for things to connect later. Yep, absolutely. And the way I help a person do that, I help them capture all those on a, on a big graph, I call a calling quilt. So they can look at all those, it's all these little snippets of their life story. Then we go back and re-examine every one of those snippets and figure out which, where's the dots connecting here. And honestly, Brian, most people don't take the time to do that. They mm -hmm. just don't. And even a college student, what I've discovered working with them is when they pay attention to their life story, all of a sudden they have these ahas. Well, I had this person who influenced me or this circumstance hit me and I had a profound influence on who I'm becoming. When we stop and pay attention to that kind of thing, then all kinds of possibilities emerge. Yeah. David Byrne, Talking Head song. You may wake up in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. You may look around and say to yourself, how did I get here? Yep. Yep. Had an interesting interaction with a guy. I was at Virginia Tech about a month ago speaking to a chapter. And um, a young man raises, I said, D when you look at your life story, he said, and he's not understanding, he's a mechanical engineer. A lot of Virginia Tech guys are mm -hmm. engineering majors. Okay. So I said, when you look at your life story, do you see something from your life story that actually connects with what you're doing here in your education and what you want to do in the future? And he said, absolutely. I grew up in a very strong, loving family. I have memories of my home being this safe place. Now, I should stop and say, not every young man can say this about their family, but he, he was able to say this. And he said, I want to become an architect to design homes for families to grow in. And I thought, this is brilliant. What, what he's done is he's, he's, he's already at his young age connecting all the dots of his life. And if you can imagine him designing homes where these wonderful families can grow. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, beautiful calling. And with that, that brings us to the end of our questions and our conversation. Uh, I'd like to thank Dave Rodriguez for uh, joining us this week. Dave, thank you so much for joining us on Ask e Anything. Good to be here. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for listening in to this week's edition of Ask e Anything, presented by Mosier Consulting. We hope you enjoyed listening to Dave Rodriguez talking to us about finding your personal calling and purpose. Join us next time when we continue to dive deeper with our resident experts and what they're currently working on. Send us your ideas or topics via our social media feeds. And in the meantime, please remember to give us a rating or subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, good luck finding your purpose. So long, everybody. Go.